Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's back. It's better than ever. Thanks to a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season that will give you more props, odds, and lines than ever before. That's because BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. But what are you waiting for? Go on your new website right now or go on your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's only when you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive that bonus. Basketball, football, NHL, down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming back to the pod. I'm so excited to have back on here a returning guest to talk a little Bears, Giants, and maybe some general sports at large with me. He's the executive producer at the FTN Network. He's also the host of the Clapback Sports Podcast, and also. A certain, maybe a, still a high school football coach, Stephen Rodriguez. Stephen, uh, how are you today, and how how'd your kids do this year? I, I appreciate the shout-out to the high school football coach. I did not mention that part uh, in the pre-show here. They did all right. We made it yeah. through this season. Last season, uh, the pandemic wiped us clean. We ended up finishing 500. We got a few wins under our belt this year. A growing transitional year, but I was actually uh, getting some off-season workouts in uh, recently. So it's nice. You know, football never really ends for me, I guess. Uh, when you think of it like that. Um, typically, just from my experience with high school sports, uh, typically high school teams that either trend running back, uh, running back centric or quarterback centric, which uh, which one is uh, your team probably on? Well, so our team is not lineman centric. We well, we were we had the biggest we had the biggest line we had uh, to start this season, but injuries wiped us clean of that. We'll have that uh, this year. We run very much a uh, we are a running style team or at least try to be. Very RPO. That's kind of what football has become now. The only thing is it, it's less of RPO when all you're doing is running the ball. It's more just an R and then the PO isn't really an option, but um, no. Yeah. Ve- very much. Perhaps, uh, perhaps. Yeah, our co- our quarterbacks, yeah. Our quarterbacks are running back. Our running backs are quarterback at times. Our QB two is really our RB one. So it, it goes hand in hand. It's just, you know, group one, New Jersey high school football. So, I mean, if you want to win, you got to run the ball. So that's just the name of the game there. <laughs> I love it, man. So glad to have you back on the pod. Um, you know, I see some of your drops all the time on LinkedIn, man. You're doing great mm-hmm. stuff. I love having you here on as guest. So I want to talk a little bit with you about some Bears and Giants. So let's just start here, man. The last time you were on the pod, if I remember correctly, was last year. Mm-hmm. We had a Giants defense playing hard with some talented pieces in place a team that was playing hard for Joe Judge. You know, Daniel Jones, uh, we weren't quite sure, but still maybe there was some potential there. Looking forward to maybe a Saquon return. Head into an offseason. They give Kenny Galladay a bag. They come into this year, and can you just give us the clip notes and catch us up from here? What has it been like uh, watching the Giants this season? Dysfunctional uh, and depressing, honestly. I (laughs) I don't really have many positive notes to make. I mean, there's so many questions. So I think the, the the cliff notes is this: the Giants came into this year uh, looking for answers, and I don't think they got any of them. And uh, the the real reason is their own fault. It's their own fault why there are no there's no clarity on the situation because they've continued to shoot themselves in the foot. Whether it's from ownership to coaching to, to to player evaluation, draft capital, I mean, you name it. Now we're in contract years, and decisions have to be made on GMs and coaches and running backs and quarterbacks. 
And you can't answer any of them confidently because we still have coaching decisions. You know, we have firings happening mid-year, you know, coach additions on the offensive line still happening. That's not figured out. It, I mean, I can make this as general as possible. Top to bottom, there's issues. And, and you could even look at the defense as an issue as well. I mean, it, it's, you know, deserving to be called into question when you look at this team. And, and granted, they're keeping them into games, but that's where all the money is right now. It's where it's going to be for the next year. So uh, that's that's a cliff note, but we can get into specifics if you want. You just you pick your poison and tread very lightly. Tread, you, you better you, be careful the answers you're, you're going to ask. All right. Or well, let's, uh, let's let's start here. I mean, you know, from from uh, the perch from the Chicago side of things, it seems like mm. Dave Gettleman's on the way out. Is that is that probably a fair assumption or is that still maybe up in the air? Right. I mean, he's probably on the way out, but it's not going to be in the fashion that every Giant fan imagines. I We've called this for years, the Giants way, because they have ties to him. He's probably retiring or stepping down, which mm. is an uneventful look at how they wanted this, you know, wanted the decision to be made. Right. Everyone wanted Gettleman's head the last couple of years. A guy stepping down or retiring isn't exactly that. Right. I mean, you can feel the same with Matt Nagy. Right. Every every week you're like, fire this man, fire this man. The torches well, are I, out. Yeah. It's like I'm out of the prediction business because I'm starting to sound like an idiot, right? Because Mm -hmm. after you lose the sixth game in a row, you're like, fire him. After he loses the seventh game in a row, you're like, fire him. After Mm -hmm. you're like, fire him after the Green Bay game because you have a four-game stretch where you can give, you know, Justin Fields an opportunity to put some tape out there that doesn't have the stink of Nagy attached to him. Didn't happen. We're still here. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm out of the prediction business on that. Yeah, and it's like, you know, everyone can play GM or play owner. And the the real thing is the Giants' overwhelming issue, and it's finally starting to be brought to light, is the micromanaging and co-mingling from ownership down. And that's also Mm -hmm. something that a lot of teams deal with. The mayors are way too heavily involved. No one really knows who's in charge and who's making decisions. Like the biggest speculation amongst Giants Twitter and everywhere, it's, Whose team is this? Who made this decision? Who made that decision? Who wanted who? Who drafted Andrew Thomas three overall? Who wanted that? Well, Gettleman drafted Saquon at two overall. Who actually wanted Jones? Why did we bring back Garrett, right? So, like, the, the thing that ties all of it together. So, I like to roll with the one decision that did happen, and it's a decision that was made too late as the firing of Jason Garrett. I think them carry – they would think it was the most obvious decision to let him go in the offseason. I think the only reason he stayed is because it was an owner's decision. I think he joined this coaching staff based on an owner's decision. Everyone that Joe Judge had brought in were his guys, but he had no ties to Jason Garrett. So the only reason there would be that it's someone that the Maras wanted. Fine. Okay. So, but you keep him into this season and then spontaneously let him go with what six games left where you can't get a full evaluation on anyone on the team anymore. And then shortly after you lose your quarterback. So it's now a wasted year, right? If we at least have that tape earlier in the season where this entire offense can get a look outside of Jason Garrett's stink, we have a new OC in there and we have a better idea of what's going on and really what these problems are. Now we don't have the scapegoat in Jason Garrett anymore and there's still overwhelming problems, right? So, um, I mean, that's just from a small scale. Like you can see that ownership is involved in, in certain things, But, I mean, where does it stop and where does it start, right? I mean, this is a guy that comes out on Eli Manning retirement jersey night and gets booed by the entire stadium. I have a season ticket holder. I've been there since, and he hasn't appeared since for good reason because I don't think he's hiding from these fans. And I think New York fans, I think as an ownership, they listen to the fans too much. But I think also, you know, the the luxury of being a New York fan is that they're so in – intertwined with this team that 
it's really hard to pull a fast one on them. And I think everyone's starting to kind of see through it. And that's the disarray and the panic right now of the Giants. Because with Garrett gone, where do you point the finger, right? When Gettleman's gone, where do you point the finger? What's going to happen? When do you reset the clock with all these decisions to be made? I mean, it's it's circles. And, and I just, I, the, the, the text I got, Joey, and I'll leave it on this. I got all weekend on Christmas break. And I started yelling at my phone on mid-dinner. And I got several different texts from good friends of mine that said, what do the Giants do this offseason? What do the Giants, how do the Giants get better? Blow up, leave town, ev- evacuate. What do you mean? How do they get better? This isn't a one step. Everyone who says the Giants with the two top 10 picks can, and we can get into that, just draft yeah. offensive linemen and all of a sudden things are going to get better are delusional. That is a delusional assessment of this team and their issues, but that's that. Well, the one that I wanted to get into, and you just teased it, is I'm just kind of curious. And I want to know what Steven Rodriguez would do with mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley moving forward because there's going to be a decision on him. And I think it's fair to say due to injury and then return to injury ineffectiveness on the field, it's really hard to kind of put a market on his value right now. Mm-hmm. And if you were in the seat where you could make the decisions with him, what would you do with Saquon Barkley? So, well, the Giants are handcuffed in general because all their salary cap for next year is tied up. They, they, they don't have any money for two years. The next year, they'll really be in a position. That's why everyone's like, well, you keep Daniel Jones one more year just because he's under his rookie deal and then we can make decisions the next year after. Don't give anyone deals. So with that logic, Ingram's gone, Saquon's gone. I think, I think Saquon's days seem numbered. But to the same point, I mean, what is he going to demand? There, there's a couple things like – I'm not all in on just evacuating Saquon if the guy's going to take a team-friendly deal and we can do something with him. Right. I do think you, he's... You have that chance right now to extend him at a really great, great, great number. And it's it, the thing is, the, the market's wor- worked against running backs, right? Paying high-priced guys is just something I don't think teams are going to do anymore. You've seen it. You've literally never seen it work out. Zeke like, is the only take, one barely take, staying alive. Would he take $20 million guaranteed right now? Spread over three years, three or four years. Right, you know and I mean? with his injury concerns, if you're Saquon, why not, right? But I, I don't I don't know what Saquon's looking for is the thing. I don't know what he can demand. And the, and the thing is, like, his marketability is so large in part tied with his brand, like, with who he is as a player. Like, I think Saquon, the player, is still battling back from his injury and still holds back at times. Like, mm. early on, I, I was all aboard on Saquon's not like us. He's a different human. I think he's holding back. I don't think he's the same player. He's not hitting holes. Now, granted, Saquon was never really an in, be- in between the tackle runner, but you've seen the Giants' offensive line, so it's kind of hard to to sum it up. He likes to run like Le'Veon Bell at times, a little less finesse, but he likes to toe-tap and be patient before the line of scrimmage, right, to find a hole. There's no holes to find on this Giants' offensive line. You may have a half-second window to hit that hole, and that's why Devontae Booker, who puts his head down and runs through the hole, has had remote success this season because he's not afraid to do that. But if you dance, if you take a second, you're not gaining any yards on this offensive line. So I think that's what he struggled with, being the player that he is, and he's just not going to change that overnight. Now, to, to, to tie it all together, I, I don't think the Giants have the money to pay him. And I don't think they're going to be willing to pay him based on what he's contributed to this team so far. So as of now, I don't, I don't see him on the team anymore, but I would love to have him back. Even though most people, uh, you're going to hear a lot of contrary takes on here than the normal giant masses. Cause I think all these people like have hate in their heart from 2018. And I just like the thing with Saquon, Joey, you, you have to realize people can't let go of the fact that he's a running back that got taken to overall. 
It's less about the player. It's more about the hatred of taking your running back two overall. That's just what this is right now. It, it's like pettiness amongst the fan base, honestly. Well, yeah, and it's it, that that's an interesting point that you're bringing up because it is so such a polarizing topic about taking your running back that high. It, it even asks begs the question of if Barkley was healthy and he was racking up 1500 yard seasons, would those same fans still be like, well, he needs 1800, or you know what what would it actually be that would actually make it enough? Mm-hmm. And, and furthermore, man, you keep talking about these salary cap issues. Methinks we're in a similar boat. I'm just going to take a guess here. Is all your money tied up in an underperforming defense and you can't really <laughs> do anything about it? Does that sound 100%. familiar? Yeah, and, like, a lot of the late additions this offseason, I mean, Adoree's played good at times, but, like, you know, that was a lot, a last-minute, like, $20 million here, $20 million there, basically, that they decided to do. Now, everyone looks at Leonard Williams, but I don't think it's Leonard Williams' fault. Like, and I think he played for his contract. I think Leonard Williams deserved his money. Uh, I can tie this to the draft, and this is why my take is that they need to use one of those two picks to trade up. Everyone takes it as they want to trade. Everyone looks at trading these picks for Russell Wilson. I do not see that at all. If you can go yeah, get Russell I was, Wilson. I was interested because that was something that was out there, and then you're saying there's no cap money, and he's going to need $45 million removed, and I want to get your take on, on they, that. They can do a few things, right? Like Jabril's in a contract. Like I'm sure if they wanted to make money, they could. I think the answer for the Giants – like again that's the thing you can't answer one question without bringing up other players that have to have decisions so you bring up a quarterback we got to talk about daniel jones daniel jones the guy is it fair to daniel blah 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 it's like it's nonstop. here's what i'll get at i just think with the first two picks everyone's looking at offensive line offensive line i think the giants if they really want to capitalize and not just waste this money defensively is really hone in and get one of those top two defensive ends i don't think they're a defensive end away but i think if you get hutchinson or thibodeau and somehow keep the capital because they have so many picks it benefits your highest a highest paid player and leonard williams from being doubled as many times as he is we lost Dalvin Tomlinson this year to the Minnesota Vikings, and it's paying dividends because Dalvin took a lot of those double teams, which freed up Leonard Williams. They are getting better. They have a rookie in Aziz Ojolari at defensive end right now who's playing great as a rookie. I'm sure he's going to get better, but they need to continue to build on that strength. I think everyone looks at this as they got to take the top tackles available, top tackles available, and they're saying this on today's December 29th. That's obvious to the entire league. If you actually think we're going to go into this and the, everything's going to work perfect for the Giants and they're going to get the top two linemen available – you're crazy. You're crazy. That's just not how the draft. It's just not how the draft works. And and the predictability of the Giants have ended up shooting themselves in the foot constantly. They overthink. They overdo the draft. Last year's the only time they did anything exciting, and it still shot themselves in the foot. They end up getting Aziz late in the second round, who I was even looking at in the first round, but like they still ended up botching it, right? They didn't focus on the line. And then Justin Fields goes here. They pass up on Micah Parsons because everyone's like, you don't need a linebacker. You don't need an edge rusher. Then it's like, wow, look at that. The Dallas D went from the worst in the league. They have an edge rusher to all of a sudden he's Lawrence Taylor. Let's crown him. It's like the Giants need impact players. They're they're dying for impact players. And I just don't think this offense is going to change overnight. Like, dude, the rant goes on and on. Let's put it this way. Even if we drafted two offensive linemen, is this fan base going to be patient enough to let him be great? No, they're not. Andrew Thomas is not talked about at all. He's been having a great year. They only talk about him when he underperforms. On this gigantically massive mess of an offensive line, it would be so easy for him to hang it up and not play well. And he's not. But 
you'll only hear Andrew Thomas in a negative light, especially with this fan base. So it, it, it's all over the place, man. It circles right now with the Giants. It circles. Well, well, you're bringing up you're bringing up an interesting point. And for Bears fans that maybe aren't that familiar, I'm just going to catch you up very, very quickly that obviously the Bears traded up with the Giants to get the, that pick, draft Justin Fields. In return, they gave up their first-round pick for next year. So as of last week, the Giants, I think they had five and six, or they had four and five, right? Yeah, one of the two. One of the right. two. Right, and, and so basically, up. you know, this matchup is kind of sort of, you know, it means a lot more actually to the Giants because if the Giants yeah. can actually beat the Bears, that loss then propels them a little bit closer and maybe keeps that closer to that top ten area. And you're bringing up an interesting point because this is a very intriguing draft that's coming up, right, where I don't watch a ton of college football, but I don't think that there's – I mean, of course, there's going to be one quarterback that's going to – rise up the ranks. I mean, if Daniel Jones can go sixth overall, any quarterback can go, no offense, but any no, quarterback, or Mitch Trubisky at two or three. If Baker Mayfield can go there. one. <laughs> right, right, right. But around. you guys are in a very fortuitous position where those two first-round picks, especially if they're both top ten, can get you a blue-chip prospect at the top because mm-hmm. I don't think the Lions, I don't know what the Lions are going to do. I don't think they're taking a quarterback number one. I actually think they're going to try and either cut Goff or just – they're just going to keep building. You know what I mean? I don't think they're ready yep. to start up with a quarterback right now. That could be an opportunity for the Giants to actually get a can't-miss player. And it sort of sounds a little bit similar to what we go through just a little bit of – it sounds like the Giants need to play a certain way, and it sort of feels like offensive line, running game, Daniel Jones, don't make mistakes, and try and hope for a bounce back from the defense. But th- th- what I'm hearing from you is that wouldn't satiate a fan base because maybe that would be boring or not exciting enough football, or, or what is it? No one in the NFL is patient anymore. That's the best way I could summarize it. Any fan base isn't patient anymore. Uh, they don't. They don't let it breathe. They don't give you know guys time. And like, like I even fall victim to this too because I'm someone who believed in Judge, and now all of a sudden you're looking at the head coach, and then it's like, because oh man, hey man it, Na- Nagy was coach of the year in 2018. And we can't wait to kick his ass. Right. It's it's crazy. It's patience. Player development is not a thing anymore. Everyone just expects rookies to come in and be Mm -hmm. impact players. And, and, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because right now guys coming out are a different breed. I mean, they're not like they used to be. Guys can come out and be impact players like the Giants found Golden Tony. Now he can't stay healthy, but, you know, impact player. And you you find those guys in the draft and that's great. But I think with the Giants – it's not even about making the sexy pick. It's, it's about making the right pick. And I think even if they made the right pick, they'll get some backlash from this fan base because of just the inconsistencies of their draft in the past. So it's more that I think the overwhelming theme here is that the Giants have to stop. You know, the front office has, has to stop listening to the fan base and really do a true roster evaluation. And I believe in Joe Judge to the point where they gave him the keys to the kingdom. I think he'd be able to do that as a special teams guy. That's what we were sold on when we got him that he would be exceptional at evaluating the 52-man roster and knowing his guys, and that's what we need. They need an entire roster teardown. Their special teams is bad. They're de- the thing is they're locked into their defense, which is fine, whatever. It is what it is. Again, a lot of those contracts are clear in a year. If your highest-paid players are defense like for the next year, that's not worst-case scenario. Obviously, Galladay – I mean, I'll need to bring out a bottle of whiskey to talk about Galladay's contract, but it's like you guys should have called. You guys should have called us in the NFC North before you inked that one, buddy. Because I, knew I, I wanted Allen Robinson. Was... I wanted Allen Robinson, who's oh, a pal maybe, of yours. Maybe you, maybe you can get him next year, man. Get them both, right? It's just that. So I, I think having all your money tied up in defense is the worst thing. You know, the worst situation to be in because defense, you know, wins you games. They can keep you in games. Like last week. 3-3 against Philly, who's now a wildcard team, and then, you know, they finally let loose because we can't maintain a drive, right? A defense is eventually going to get weared out. Point being, though, 
Like if you have Dan, like the pieces are there that I think if we stay patient and don't necessarily blow everything up, and that's honestly where the Giants are trending. You have to say this very lightly before the fan base loses their mind. I don't think Daniel Jones and Joe Judge are going anywhere. As as frustrating as as it is, like I think they're going to do. And if it, I can interject really yeah, quick, because obviously we went through this a little bit last year. Yeah. Are you at all having, or do you, or maybe Giants fans at large? Do you feel like they're having any buyer's remorse over? not taking Fields or Mac Jones? And do you think that residue could also maybe eventually build up to the point where you guys are going to have two top 10 picks? Is the fan base eventually going to start talking nah, themselves into a quarterback? They're not taking a quarterback this year. The Giants are too proud and to waste another top 10 pick. They just, <laughs> they, they would never do it. The Maras yeah. would never do it. Like I said, it's super predictable. And like, yeah, you could say like some people are like, they're not predictable at all. It's like, I mean, if you're a fan of this team, like it's predictable. Everyone knew they were taking Daniel Jones that year, whether you liked it or not. Like it was happening by the time draft day came around, you knew they were taking Daniel Jones with one of those first two picks that apparently Washington was linked to him, whatever. The thing with Mac Jones and Justin Fields, I will say this, the Giants would have broken Justin Fields, similar to what the Bears are attempting to do with Justin Fields right now, trying to break him. I think he's going to be good enough to bypass that if he can survive this year. At least he won't finish out the year. But uh, And then Mac Jones fell into the best case scenario. Everybody in this, everybody and their mother, their grandmother knew if Mac, Field, uh, Mac Jones went to the Patriots, that would be a dream scenario for both Belichick, the Patriots, and, and Mac Jones. And this is what's happening. They're playing yeah. above their heads because – it's just a prototypical guy that can fit in that system, and it works perfectly well. I just think well, that was best case. And let me ask you this, uh, and this is kind of my cold water on the whole, because we're hearing it obviously here about like you know, there's a lot. There are some Bears fans that are like, we should have taken Mac Jones. And I mm. look, I love Mac Jones coming out of college. He actually kind of was my favorite quarterback mm. uh, outside of Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is on a, a plane on his own, but I actually kind of liked him a little bit more than Fields. I don't know. I just saw some of the throws and the accuracy mm. and, the, and the gamer stuff. And obviously Fields was great, but it was kind of like I liked Mac Jones a little bit more. In your opinion right now, if I say to you, in three years, we're going to say Mac Jones is good, but we're going to be having the debate, is Mac Jones great? I think that was that's oh. the fear. And he's going to get into the Tom Brady debate too, not the GOAT debate. The just Is it the quarterback or is it the coach? And I think you'll always break it down to it's the system. I think, it, like, I think this season gives – Bill Belichick his flowers for the debate that I'll never forget people had. It's just, it's the same thing. I say they're both good. Like they're both the best. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Like I know everyone wants to pick. There's yeah. nothing wrong with both of them being incredible. It's what made the dynasty, Who right? Was pulling the strings. Who was it's, pulling? It's the absolutely strings? ridiculous. People love wasting their breath on these arguments. It's like, they're both good. It's okay. I do want to say this though. Justin Fields, and I still stand by this, was my favorite quarterback coming out of the class. I just thought him and Trevor Lawrence were always neck and neck. I love what the upside could be, especially if Justin Fields puts a little bit on and keeps his legs. If he can get stronger and they protect for a man, like you see, you've had glimpses. I know as a, uh, as a Bears fan, you've seen those oh, yeah. glimpses where you're like, wow, like this guy, I mean, if we get him in space, if we give him some time, that, that Steelers yeah, game isn't even a popular game and it sticks out to me. Well, no, and, and that's the thing is just, we're, we're seeing those flashes, and I think, again, you're going back to something that's really crucial for that Bears fans need to hear is that we overreact and we want everything right now. This kid is a rookie, all right? Like, he literally learned how to read a playoff in a huddle in training camp this year. But I'm with you. I do see a guy that's built like Big Ben that runs a little bit like Lamar and can throw the ball deep 
with the best of them. So if you put those three things together with a dude who honestly I think really, really cares and I think obviously is a really smart, intelligent person, I you know, I, I like that. Right? I like I like all that stuff coming well, together. And I think obviously you guys, the fumbles is a thing, but I was gonna say well, fumbles are fun. You're talking to the you're preaching to the choir there. I gotta yeah, deal with fumbles. Yeah, yeah. But obviously something that could be corrected, right? Daniel no one talks yeah. about Daniel Jones' fumbles anymore, right? I know he's not on the field, but you don't hear it. Just the thing, the thing with the Justin Fields. Best way Fields, to stop him from fumbling, keep him off the field. You're right. You can't fumble if you don't play. Can't wait. Yeah. But um, I was going to say, Justin Fields also got a late start. He got a, a very late start because we came in claiming that uh, Andy Dalton was going to be QB1, right? It was Andy Dalton's team. I think that affects young guys. And you don't want to. I'm, I'm a belief that, yeah, you don't want to give the young guys too much control too early. But I do think it's important that they get reps before you throw them into the fire. And I don't think he had the luxury of doing that. And it was kind of predictable what they were going to do with him too. Everyone thought, all right, probably week four, week five, right? That's all you kept hearing, week four, week five, or until one of these guys get banged up. And it's like, then he just gets thrusted in there and we see him kind of running for his life. But, you know, that's what I like to see from him. Those those glimpses of just playmaking ability in the fire. Like in, in like the Bears could be well worse off than having Justin Fields as their quarterback in life. And you, you just could. Well, no, for sure. And, and to your point, look, I, I it's the stuff. It's the reason why Matt Nagy's not going to be the coach anymore. It's just mm-hmm. he had to, he had to, I think, like kind of like, safeguard his own weaknesses by saying like this is my scheme and this is my school and he did one of those things where he's just like you're gonna come in you're gonna earn your stripes and we're gonna sit you for a while and you're gonna sit and learn but the problem is like you said it takes away reps it takes away confidence it takes kind of away like this is my team sort of thing and then he gets thrust in there week two when Dalton gets hurt mm-hmm. and has to play early but what I did like was you know the Browns game one of the most disastrous offensive performances I think I maybe have ever seen and I watch Bears football and that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> intense dude he comes back and he beats the Lions and then he plays well and he beats Oakland. Or I'm sorry, Las Vegas in Las Vegas, mm. right? You know, he gets his head kicked in by Tampa Bay, still comes back and has performances like that against the Steelers. So yeah. I think, you know, and I we're doing a lot of comparative uh, with Trubisky. You know, what does Fields, how does Fields respond the way Trubisky does not respond? They're two totally different people. I keep trying to like You guys are going to drive yourselves crazy doing that. I know, <laughs> I know. And, and again, dude, like you know this, yeah. just the same way you've watched Daniel Jones. Progress is not linear. Right. Like, no, especially yeah. with these young guys, there's bumps in the road, there's flashes and there's moments. And, you know, and uh, let's be real here for a second. Let me ask you, is there is is Daniel Jones savable? And if, if so, in your opinion, you know, what what probably what aspect of either the team or his play needs to be corrected the most to make him, you know, a serviceable winning quarterback, which is there's nothing wrong with that to win football games. Uh, well, so super loaded question. The Giants definitely have broken Daniel Jones. So they, they, they've broken him. But I think he's savable. I think Daniel Jones can still be a competent, good, talented quarterback. It's probably why the Giants aren't that oblivious and think he should come back next year because he hasn't played a full 60 game. Now, that's the issue. I think my biggest concern with Daniel Jones is availability. It has nothing to do with the player. I think it's availability. And the biggest thing is, yeah, give him time in the pocket. If you watch Giants offensive line tape, that is the worst football you'll ever see in your life. They don't even they don't even bother. We still have Nate Holder at right tackle. Let's not even go there. Let's not even, yeah, have at it. Have some fun. Oh, you like hitting quarterbacks? Fun. Here you go. Pat your stats. Get a contract off this. What? Else? Um. Yeah. So, what was I gonna say? Okay. Everyone likes checking progress through statistics. Nobody watches tape anymore. Nobody yep. cares about the tape. 
No one likes watching progress. Like my biggest thing with Daniel Jones was he was taking command of the huddle, taking command of the line of scrimmage. Those are good things. Those are growth you want to see. He's not just trusting his inept coaching staff at Jason Garrett, and he's trying to go with what he sees on the field. Like that's the thing. Like it, it isn't linear. It isn't just one thing. Like if you want to harp on Justin Fields' is fumbles for the next three years, you'll do it and you'll do it swimmingly just off one lump sum or a couple bad games. Like if you wanted to harp on how bad he played in the Bucks game, and I watched that with my own eyes too. That didn't even look like him. It wasn't the same player the week later. It, it just wasn't. But you can't – football is one of the most week-to-week sports. It's a preparation sport. It's an ebb and flows once you find it. We're looking at a Dolphins team who's making a playoff one run. They started one and seven. Everyone counted Tua out. And, and you guys would say, Tua. Tua, Tua is here to stay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's never-ending with, with, with these young quarterbacks, and that's the thing. You expect the results right away because of the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes and the Joe Burrows. It's like those guys, they don't just come around, and it also helps that the system in place complements them. That's the thing. So my biggest – to tie to what you said, the Giants have to build around Daniel Jones, which I think they've tried to do, but the issue with Jason Garrett was he's exactly what you said about Matt Nagy. Daniel Jones did not fit Jason Garrett's scheme, and they wanted it to happen so badly. It's not the player he was. And then they forced design runs in there, and then he started getting hurt but they needed to force those design runs because that's where he was most successful. And then when it worked, they didn't do it consistent. And it just, it wasn't Daniel Jones's offense. But if you look at all the other successes, what did the Bengals just do to elevate them from a top five pick to a playoff and division leading team? They listened to nobody of the naysayers and took Joe Burrow's best friend and Jamar Chase. And now look where we are, right? It's like build your offense around your guys and not enough people do that. Then that's why I'm saying you can't just, say I'm going to draft offensive linemen in a nutshell and it's automatically going to be great. Like it it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't like, look, I mentioned the jets. Look at the jets. The jets have been trying to fix the offensive line since their days, you know, their, their two AFC championships. And everyone's like, but Kai Becton refrigerator on, you know, with wheels and he can't stay healthy just because you grab the biggest guys and the most talented college prospects. It just, it luck doesn't work that way. Football doesn't work that way. So you can't just look at it so nearsighted, like this is the right move to make. You don't know what the right move to make is in hindsight ever. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Lightbox. I got news for everybody. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Listen, cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a very light price. Only $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in plush pink and beautiful blue as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off price so they won't have to they really do make any outfit sparkle so visit lightboxjewelry.com right now to add sparkle to your holiday shopping that's lightboxjewelry.com lightbox diamonds never a dull moment now back to the pod the bears are going to be in a position in the offseason when they're going to be hiring a new head coach and hopefully a new general manager and hopefully a new president of football operations but you know christmas has already passed one can only hope for so much. <laughs> yeah um but I do the say, right thing make the right decisions right i mean get yeah, a high coach yeah, and a gm yeah. at the same time i wouldn't know anything about new that. user resolution but i will say that you know we do a lot of talk around here about you know what kind of coach does justin fields need or like what kind of system and this and that whatever and you're saying something that man i've been saying for over a month on this pod now is that you know what you know what i want i want a coach that can adjust I want a coach that is versatile. I don't mm. want someone that just goes, I, I just run West Coast, or I just run Andy Reid, or I just run this or just that or the other. Like, I'm almost 
I've been more intrigued by Josh McDaniels than I ever have in my whole life because you know mm. what? They do exactly they just do exactly what you're saying is that they look at the matchup per week and they say, What style of football is gonna give us the best chance to win? And then they go out and they try and execute that style. And I'm not saying that the obvious the obvious uh, example is the forty six to three, the forty six run to three passing. I get all that, but it doesn't have to be that lopsided. But it's not like every single week there's different ways to win football games. And we always talk about, and you're a coach, man, you always talk about showing a look or maybe you know showing a coverage to maybe you know, try and trick someone later in the game and all this other back and forth and everything. And I think this is something that really, really needs to be something that the Bears really focus on is like learning how to play different styles. It's not always just get off the bus and running the football, and it isn't always just airing it out. It's about different balance. It's about matchups. It's about looks, and it's about adjustments during the game. And these are all things that Matt Nagy can't do because mm -hmm. I think he just has his play card, and it's almost like a game of Madden for him. And he goes, "I let's dial this up. I think this will work." You know, and they they've never been able to do that. And I think that's why the Bears' offense has been one of the worst offenses, even when we won 12 games, in his entire tenure. Well, not worse than the Giants, so if that makes you feel any better. No, but I did. No one's worse than the Giants. Who's worse? Jeez. Well, I, there's and there's a couple things. It's that I think you have the right guy where you can manipulate a scheme with Justin Fields. You kind of have the liberty to do what you want with his skill set. But you, you mentioned Josh McDaniels, and we mentioned Mac Jones before, but look at the handling of that. Cam Newton was still on that team going into this year, and they made a decision, and they, they, they gave both a chance and handled it the right way. Those are not the same quarterbacks. And Josh McDaniels wanted Cam Newton last year, and then he fits the yeah, scheme but, to but make Steven, you know, better. Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was a former MVP, and he went right. to a Super oh, Bowl. Yeah. And wait, no, wait, that was Cam Newton. Uh, right. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm getting my, I'm getting my, uh, my quarterbacks mixed up. I'm, I'm, I'm completely agree with you. But it, re it really set. It shows you the successful franchises right now, and the non-successful franchises, the, the willingness to change and adapt. It's just what it is, and like. I mean, you can go through the league with examples, but that's what I mean. You can see that I, I think the Bengals are a really, really big apparent turnaround. Like, it's just it, – it, and granted, I don't think the, the Bengals' system right now is the best longevity, but at the same time, football is a game of windows, really. And windows close really, really quickly, especially with offensive players, especially with how injuries are going. It's just it's just what it is. And everyone's well, chasing the and, and one. Honestly, dude, You're chasing the, Chief, the one, right? Dude, the Chiefs' window is closing. And yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying that's because of Mahomes. Mahomes, they will rebuild around Mahomes, but I'm saying the Kelsey Tyreek Hill prime is maybe this year, maybe next year, and then after that, that is over, and they're going to have to rebuild around Mahomes again. It's a lot shorter than people think. I mean, they're lucky mm -hmm. enough where it's probably going to be three or four years. But what would you say? Maybe two or three is probably a little bit more well, re the, reasonable the, in terms of the window. encouraging thing, though, if you're the Chiefs, is and this is something I keep pounding the table. And I know you said bet on Chicago, so I'm not sure if this is a betting show. But I got in on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl very early on when they had four losses earlier oh, this season. Good for you. Yeah, and it was really one. I love hearing everyone overreact to things early into the season, especially for good good teams. But when you have a quarterback, a cornerstone piece like Mahomes. Like, you see what he's been able to do lately. The defense is carrying that team right now, for one thing. Let's give flowers. And shout-out to my guy, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive yeah. coordinator over there, former Giants uh, defensive coordinator. But he's winning without those guys. And I think if you are a Chiefs fan and, right, Kelsey's league-leading receiving years are over, right? I mean, unreal what he did last year. He's like a top-three receiver, and he's a tight end, right? Uncanny. And then Terry Kill, who, who, who's underperforming and cost me several semifinals in fantasy football last week. Um, but they're winning without them. And I think, I think that's the big thing. And so, you know, that's what you got to be encouraged by sometimes. And, and 
yeah, it's it's just he's so unique. He's such a unique guy. No, yeah, no one wants to play Mahomes. I mean, that's where your bet came into play, and that's what made you smart about it. And when everyone wanted to bury them, and and Mahomes, what? He, oh my God, he has eleven interceptions. Let's all like just run in the streets well, and tear and Joey, our hair though, out. Like, here's the thing, too, though. Here's what I bet on always with playoff guys. It's and this is I had a futures. I had the Chiefs and the Bucks last year, and I got them at the same time. I try to just catch good good teams with offenses underperforming. Because especially with offenses, if the defenses are there, everyone crowns the Bucks for Tom Brady last year. Tom Brady this, Tom Brady that. Oh, my God. He could win the MVP. No, that defense their was amazing. Off, their offense stunk last year on ice. Against the Bears, he forgot how many downs there was, right? Let's not forget, right? That was a That's a game that people mocked him for. But all of a sudden, playoffs come around, the offense is playing better than ever. And now you can't stop them. That's what I'm worried about for teams with the Chiefs. Unless they see the Bucks in the Super Bowl, I've been saying this. I don't know who's going to stop them if they get things going, if they get past these COVID issues and get healthy at the right time, if Kelsey and Hill are on the stage, you know what I mean? If, if all those things just all of a sudden click and their defense is rolling, that's a problem, man. That that's they were talking about a Super Bowl team two years ago where, and even last year they lost like one game legitimately. I think they lost two in the regular season, but like, these are just, you, you want to bet on short, short. You just want to have short bets. You want to bet on guys that you, you know, any given Sunday, you'll go to back for. It's like sometimes not getting cute and drafting fantasy guys with name value, even though they're underdrafted. Shout out to Antonio Brown, who uh, is back and, uh, and exactly that. So next but, question, next question. Yeah. Next question. But uh, yeah, anti-backs, anti-backs. No, but um, it, it's that. So that was person. my betting right. Yeah. That, that was my so betting well, so let yeah. me ask you this about the Chiefs, and this is probably the one thing that probably, maybe probably stands in their way. And look, this is something that I've been talking a lot with, and maybe I've been inundated by enough conversations with my co-host for Believe in Bears, Corey Wooten, to talk about. I've kind of noticed something in the NFL this year, and maybe it's something that's around every single year. But you know, if you talk to the casual fan, or talk to maybe someone a generation above us, they always go. Well, you know, it's just all passing. You know, it's a passing league now. It's just the modern NFL. All it is is just pass, pass, pass. Am I wrong? I've kind of noticed that this has probably been more of a run-heavy season than any than we've had maybe in previous years. Oh yeah. And the uh, and and look, go around the league. Like look at every single team that's in the playoffs right now. Pretty much every team. You know, the Bucks right now, they got they got right because Fournette got right. You know what I mean? Like he started, he started moving the chains. Obviously, he's hurt now, but he started running the ball a little bit and started to make things happen. The Chiefs in their running game is probably what maybe worries them, the, worries me the most. But are you with me on that? That like every single playoff team has a strong running game. It's probably more important. And in terms of as a coach, you know, once you learn and can kind of test linebackers' run fits and learn where gap discipline is, that's when you exploit the passing game. Am I, am I on to something here? Well, here, here's – I agree, and here's what I'll shout out. The, this year is the first year I actually think – now hold your breath – Aaron Rodgers may be able to make it out of the NFC Championship game when they host it again because, no joke, A.J. Dillon is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Nobody's going to want to tackle come January, mid-January in Green Bay. They're just not. But it – Look at the Bucks last year. What won them that Super Bowl? Lombardi, Lenny. Like people make the joke. It's the truth. Running the football, playing defense. It's not rocket science on winning football games. Whatever level it is, if you can do those two things well, control the line of scrimmage, control the time of possession, you're going to be in really good shape. 
So, yeah, I've seen it now more than ever, especially with, uh, you know, and I made the joke about high school football, but RPOs are implemented more than ever in football right now. And that's the thing. I think it's less vertical passing, even though, you know, the Mahomes is the last couple of years have kind of blurred that and even the Josh Allens to, to, to that extent. But RPOs are just kind of the way the offenses are going right now when it's making quarterbacks have to think more and be smarter. It's creating more. Shout out to the positionless player. I want to plug that in here because you're going to see that more. The Cordero Patterson's, the Debo Samuels mm-hmm. of the world, the the wide receiver running backs that you can put in the system and do several th- different things. They can run the ball. They can take that, you know, they can take a swing pass. They can run a, a wide receiver screen. They can go downfield, settle on a curl route. It's, it's just what it is. It's options in football now. So I think it's getting more advanced and less uh, as to the casual fan cookie cutter of there's so much passing. I think the, 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 the passing is getting more advanced with option routes, so on and so forth, but there's definitely way more running because you need to run. Like I said, it was more of just the O than the PO in order to run the RPO. You need to do all three pretty well. And so if you're going to run that offense and I, the Cardinals are a good example of that. James Connors resurrected, right? Right. Chase Edmonds is doing well. You look around the league to what you said. Running backs are a thing this year. Running backs are, are, are performing at a high level because of the need to run the ball. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the position of this player. It's like the stretch four in basketball. It's like kind right. of sort of happening a little bit. And, you know, just to kind of maybe uh, hammer this home just a little bit, I've also kind of been told and I've heard too that, you know, defenses are a little bit smaller than they have been in years past where like a linebacker is playing at 20 to 25 pounds lighter. And that's that's kind of helped kind of like maybe button up or kind of create more coverage in the passing game. Not to say that we're still not putting up big numbers, but also maybe has people lean more towards the running game because you can get away with it more and punish opposing defenses. I think speed. I think the, the game is getting faster. I think that's what everyone's worried about. The game is getting faster, and how could it not, right? you got to cover guys. These 40 times coming out are faster than you've ever seen. So you got to get guys that can stretch the field not just laterally but vertically, right? I, I mean, going side to side, the Tariq Hill jet sweep is like – if we want to keep plugging the Chiefs, it's just what it is. But plenty of teams do it. It's we saw it this week with Jalen Waddle. We saw it on Monday. Mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle is able to come across the formation, come the other way. You get guys taking one false step, you're not going to catch him. So I think defenses have to adjust to it for that point. But at the same time, man, linebackers. I think the linebackers in the NFL are probably as crazy as they've ever been from an athleticism standpoint. They, they were talking about it on the Monday night broadcast. These dudes, I mean, everyone talks about Micah Parsons. There are some linebackers in this league. Like Devin White's one of my favorites to watch. Darius Leonard. They are big, but they're also fast. Yeah, we got one in Roquan Smith who's just honestly, oh, yeah. such a joy. Every oh, single yeah. play, he's got his nose on it. And every time, like sideline to sideline, you see that closing speed. And you're just like, man, you're just so happy that the dude's on your defense. And he's so smart. uh, Fine, I'm a linebackers coach, so I want to give linebackers flowers. But it's the truth. (laughs) It's a a position that's underappreciated to the point where everyone just thinks they're the gritty, hard-nosed, you know, defender, right? They're they're the rough and tough guy. Quarterback of the defense, man. Cliche, but it's it's just the truth. They set the table, and and they got to be able to adjust on the fly. The, The good ones make those plays and force turnovers, and I think Roquan is one of those. We had one in Blake Martinez. I thought Blake was pretty good, but he's out for the season, so yeah. I hope there's always a bounce back. There's a bounce back, and everyone's playing for their next contract. Uh, We're gonna get you out of here. I got two more questions for you. Uh, The first one, I like to just uh, let's let's actually just talk about the Bears Giants matchup just real Mm. quick this weekend. Uh, For those that are you know. Maybe gambling on it if you want to throw in a little bit in there. But let's just kind of start it off like this. I like to ask this of people that come onto my pod, um, especially if you're you know a fan of the other team. Uh, the Chicago Bears will beat the Giants in Week 17 if blank. Uh, the Giants start Mike Lennon or Jake Fromm, <laughs> which they are. <laughs> so, the, yeah, it looks like it's happening. No, yeah, I mean for real, man. Uh, well, I will say this. So, um, 
take the under. I, I don't know if that's going to be one of your next questions. I don't even know what the under is. Take it. Um, both teams are going to attempt to run the ball. Saquon's been peppered with questions. If they if they shut down Saquon, the Bears beat uh, the Giants, which I don't think would be very difficult because Saquon tends to shut himself down as of late. But yeah, he's he's getting very annoyed in press conferences as of today. They were asking him a lot, like you're going back to the spot where the injury happened, like this, this, and that, this, this, and that. And it's like nonstop thinking about it, trying to create this narrative. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I'm sure he's not happy about it. I think it's something you're going to hear a lot on Sunday and see a lot on Sunday during the game. Um, I don't think it matters at all. Both teams are going to run the ball. I think David Montgomery is going to run the ball uh, and beat up on the Giants defense a little bit. But I actually – can you answer this question? Why don't the Bears throw touchdowns to Kokomet? Why is Jimmy Graham still a thing? Because whoever the tight end is, who there's going to be a tight end that scores for the Bears this week, and I want it to be Cole Komet so bad, and it's just going to be Jimmy Graham. Okay. So first, so first off, uh, <laughs> over, over, over under is 37. Under. <laughs> yeah, you like under? The Giants aren't scoring more than 13 points. Not yeah, even if they not, tried their we're best. Not, we're, we're, not, we're only averaging 17. So let's there you go. That's 30. Maybe, That's 30. Maybe take it at 34 and under. Uh, Bears, yeah. uh, six-point favorites at home, which is, I don't know. That's, that's too much. That might be too much. That's, that's a little too much, even though I do like uh, – this is kind of one of those moments where I think the Bears could probably play well, and I do maybe – I do think they can win by more than a touchdown. I don't know if I'd put yeah. my money on that. Uh, why they can't throw the touchdowns to Cole Komet, um, so we have something we have a bit of a red zone uh, affliction going on right now. We are allergic. <laughs> we are allergic to the red zone. We've been tested to it. The thing with Jimmy Graham is it goes back to Matt Nagy, unfortunately, mm. where I've asked this question of Corey and he can't really answer it for me. I was just like, hey, man, like, so what's our plan in the red zone outside of throwing to a tight end? And in the past, it has been Allen Robinson. We would run some mm -hmm. stuff where we can do a little, like, little rub route, a little, like, you know, a little quasi-pick to kind of get him open. And then we can kind of do some fade stuff in the end zone with Allen Robinson. And without him on the field, I don't think they have any idea of what to do. So it's either, like, grip it and rip it as hard as you can, or you do the post-up to Jimmy Graham because they don't seem to figure out that a way to get Darnell Mooney free. But man, that post-up's a decade too old. It's a decade know, too know, old. I know, but I will tell you, because, uh, yeah, this is a betting podcast from time to time. Uh, I'm 0 for 4 on, like, you know, when we do, like, keys to a game. I'm mm. 0 for 4 on Cole Komet. Cole Komet, this is the week he scores. I think he gets in the end zone, Steven. I, think I still haven't let go Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Um, I'm not letting down that Jimmy Gray. I took the Lions, but I'm like, the Bears are staying. This. The, Bears, the Lions covered. I was just like, the Bears are going to score. It's going to be a tight end. It's going to be Cole Komet. This is the week I got him at three to one. Jimmy Graham, he just doesn't go away. I think the play before they might have targeted Komet too, but I think he's good. I just, it's just the one question. It's just so funny. I knew you had no answer to it because, and then right, and then when it's not Jimmy Graham, it's Jesse James, right? I know, perfect. Oh, no, no, yeah, exactly. I was just saying, <laughs> like, uh, I was, I was texting my buddies last week. Uh, I was just like, Nick Foles to Jimmy Graham in Week 16, just how we drew it up in the preseason. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we thought happens. Meanwhile, Cole Komet, Justin Fields, you know what I mean? Like, it's just oh absolutely God. ridiculous. I think uh, I get frustrated. I can imagine you sometimes. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, he's he's got over 50 receptions. Yeah, hopefully he's going to get over 600 yards, maybe get to 700 if he has a couple good games left. We do like the we do like the future for Cole Komet, but I do agree. Just red zone in general, I mean, you could just put him in the lot with everybody else of why don't we score touchdowns down there. Uh, it's play calling. It, you know, it, it's play calling, and then there is uh, execution elements too as well. When you have a rookie quarterback too as well, when that space gets all tightened up, yeah. it's, a it's a different land down there, right? Between the 20s is a different space once you get in, inside that. So. Uh, my final one for you. Let's get you out of here on a good note. 
Okay. Max Scherzer. Uh, Lord oh. and Savior. Uh, Lord and Savior. Um, what does that do for the New York Mets? Is it uh, over the – does it put you over the top type situation? Would you like to see them maybe add a little bit more? They've done a lot so far when the ice thaws at the end of the lockout. Uh, how are you feeling about your Mets right now? So uh, I don't know if the video will come out of this. I don't get to talk about the Mets very often. I will get back to it soon, mainly because of this lockout. Huge smile on my face. I love talking about this. I mentioned the one thing uh, – some people, some of the sharper guys mention it. It's leadership. Max Scherzer brings leadership. And what the Mets have done – over this offseason, you could talk about the players and their skills, leadership, Starling Marte, Max Scherzer, and the real savior, Buck Showalter. Them getting Buck Showalter is everything to this team. Max is going to add some pedigree. He's going to be hard-nosed. Them adding Max actually worries me that maybe Jacob deGrom is more hurt than people lead on. We'll see. That's mm. more of a speculation. He was hurt at the end of last year. Could have came back. They weren't exactly sure. They said it was forearm. We don't know if it's elbow. Or maybe some leverage on leverage it. on the free agent deal when he comes up. Uh, he's he's uh, UFA next year, right? Not this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the next year. But the, the good thing is, too, though, I, I think it's less about that and, and more about – they're just trying to build a roster that, that they can depend on. And I think Max Scherzer, for me, when I think of him, yeah, he's a star-studded guy in terms of Cy Young, you know, capability finished two this year. But, man, he's dependable. I, he, you hadn't heard a word about Max Scherzer taking himself out of a game, and he didn't this year, really, um, aside from that dead-arm game in the postseason. And he addressed that in his press conference with the Mets, and he talked about how that he attributed his dead-arm to his lack of pitching as much as he wanted to basically because other guys were on, they wanted him on a pitch count. Basically this guy is a workhorse psycho and I love it. It's someone who's going to eat innings for them. And I think do a lot of the heavy lifting. Hopefully, you know, the Mets don't break him, which as a Met fan, you know, they will eventually, but that's okay because I think Buck Showalter, the real savior is going to be able to manage the talent on this team and keep them constructed enough. They don't need to win the division. I will say this. I said this last year with my high expectation, the Braves are still going to be really good. They don't need to win the division. They just need to get in. They have the pitching and the players to make a run. But I love you asking me that question, so thank you. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous because as a White Sox fan, my big hot take, hot, uh, high horse was the second that they got ousted by the Astros, I started tweeting about Max Scherzer because mm -hmm. it was this situation of, you know, for the White Sox specifically, our starting rotation completely collapsed in the playoffs. And it's just like, you know, we got to go out there. We got to get a bulldog for the playoffs. Why not go out and get the bulldog? He the is, actual bulldog. Look it up in the dictionary of bulldog, and that is Max Scherzer hurling it for you guys. And who cares about the money, man? $43 million, 44. Who cares? Because, look, whether he pitches well or not, <laughs> Everyone on that Mets team is going to feel like they're going to win that you day. You make that he's me laugh. I, I just love smiling about this now. One, money is not an option because of Uncle Stevie. It's the Christmas season. Tis the season for Stevie. Uncle Stevie. And two, two, it's only a two-year deal. It's going to be a, th a third-year deal, but $40 million is nothing in the MLB anymore. It really isn't, which is funny, though, with him being high up in the, you know, in the Players Association and the lockout happening, a lot of this being over money, I think that was a nice little step back fadeaway with him saying, yeah, we want more money, but I'm going to take the most of it. But it's just, man, money's not an option for the Mets anymore. And it's a beautiful day for me. And everyone who says these are bad investments don't realize that when we mean money's not an option, it's unreal. It's an unfathomable, unfathomable concept to think about. But Max Scherzer's contract is more than like the bottom five teams in the MLB. Money's legitimately not an option. It's just, there's no such thing is a bad contract.
it's 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 weird. It's a weird concept to well, think you about. Know what? I, I always think about this too, and it's it. There's a bit of hypocrisy there. People are there like he's overpaid. What if you lived in a world? And they do bonuses already, but what if you lived in a world where you're like, I'm going to pay Max Scherzer $10 million, but if he goes out there and wins you a playoff game or whatever, you win a World Series, he gets a $35 million bonus. Everyone would go, oh, that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. give it to him already. He has and those incentives in the contract, and that's in there too. That's all yeah, intertwined now. It, pe people look at just the number, and it's easy to point. But you know what, too? I think this was Steve Cohen, and if you notice, he announced on Twitter the Max Scherzer deal and – the Buck Showalter deal. This is ownership taking over. The Mets are actually changing the course and literally finally trying to change the stink that was on this team and the mantra about them. And he's just basically, I think, kicking everyone out of the room. He's handling his business and he's taking what he wants. And dude, listen to what Buck said and listen to what Max Scherzer said. You're not going to find many owners in the league like that. Steve Cohen is a Mets fan. He's going to do anything it takes for the Mets to be good. And you got to commend him for it, man. You got to get like everyone who's saying they overpaid the guy's old. He's about to be 40. He's going to get hurt. He's never been hurt. That they can all be true. They haven't seen him pitch yet. They haven't but seen Joey, him pitch yet. You, you can't go about making deals with that mindset to not make them. You have to go out and get the guy. And if it, the injury bug hits you, the injury bug is going to hit. That's what I said. The Mets are going to get hurt anyways. We can't, unless we change our training staff, which even if we did, it's just, that's the one thing you'll never change about the Mets. The Mets are going to get hurt. But you can't go in the offseason just like, well, we can't sign this guy because he might be injury prone. You go and handle your business and put the best product on the field that you can, and you got to deal with the situations that arise. And so anyone saying Max Scherzer's overpaid because of his age and a potential injury from the postseason is just tripping. <laughs> well, I'm happy for you, man. We were talking Thanks, about man. windows before, and the Mets obviously just swung open a nice at least two-year window. Three years. Three year, yeah, three-year window three to now make it happen. And now, honestly, when you do that and you double down, it actually makes like the Lindor thing more palatable because mm -hmm. it is a ton of money for him too. But now you're actually like you're working towards something and you're getting closer to that goal, which makes if you get to that goal – doesn't matter how much money you spend it all makes it worth it uh steven i gotta let you go my friend mm -hmm. steven rodriguez executive producer for the ftn network and also clapback sports the podcast uh dude man so great to see you happy new year do me a favor before you go uh plug some of your socials different way that people are listening to this podcast check out your stuff man uh i love your work man love talking to you so make sure you do that uh, so thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yes. You know, as we were nearing this game, I was wondering if I was going to get to see you. If I had a podcast still on the Believe Network, the, the Believe in New York football podcast, uh, that was there floating around come draft season. We had to divvy it out and, and switch up some priorities. But it might be back in the near future. I don't know. But I would have had you on. I'm glad I was able to make this appearance. Uh, so at Tino Rodriguez double underscore. Follow me on Instagram where I have Joey now. We love this little Chicago sports action there. Follow all your <laughs> stuff there. Uh, but the Instagram is at Steven Rodriguez with an underscore, man. It, it was a pleasure to be on here. Follow all the stuff at FTN. I have a show there, Betting with Benny and Tino. That's on our FTN Network YouTube page. I appear on Mean Streets. I'm the main producer there, and I get to co-host at times there as well. It's fun. We interact in the chat. All this stuff is live, live there for TV, and it's awesome. So good time. Check out the FTN Network YouTube page, and you'll find all my work. Pleasure's all mine, man. Always rooting for you. Love your stuff. Uh, happy New Year. Thanks for coming to the pod. Thanks, man. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago is presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. Also brought to you by Lightbox Jewelry, uh, sponsoring with us in the pod all season long uh, for the football season. And hopefully moving forward, so make sure you check out the wonderful deals that they have going on. The holidays are over, but they still got some great deals on the website. Make sure you check it out. Thank you so much for checking out this pod. You can follow me at Joey Sports Guy on Instagram or Twitter. 
Uh, happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for checking it out. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.